Let me begin by reading uh, Psalm 44, starting in verse 1. O God, we have heard with our ears, our fathers have told us what deeds you performed in their days, in the days of old. You, with your own hand, drove out the nations, but them you planted. You afflicted the peoples, but them you set free. For not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did their own arm save them, but your right hand and your arm and the light of your face, for you delighted in them. You are my king, O God, ordain salvation for Jacob. Through you we push down our foes. Through your name we tread down those who rise up against us. For not in my bow do I trust, nor can my sword save me, but you have saved us from our foes and have put to shame those who hate us. In God we have boasted continually, and we will give thanks to your name forever. But you have rejected us and disgraced us and have not gone out with our armies. You have made us turn back from the foe and those who hate us have gotten spoiled. You have made us like sheep for slaughter and have scattered us among the nations. You have sold your people for a trifle, demanding no high price for them. You have made us the taunt of our neighbors, the derision and scorn of those around us. You have made us a byword among the nations, a laughing stock among the peoples. All day long my disgrace is before me, and shame has covered my face at the sound of the taunter and reviler, at the sight of the enemy and the avenger. All this has come upon us, though we have not forgotten you, and we have not been false to your covenant. Our heart has not turned back. Nor have our steps departed from your way. Yet you have broken us in the place of jackals and covered us with the shadow of death. If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God discover this? For he knows the secrets of the heart. Yet for your sake, we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Awake! Why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our belly clings to the ground. Rise up. Come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray for him to bless our time. Our great God and our Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity to hear your word, to hear it read to us, and to have it explained and taught to us. Oh God, we pray that now your Holy Spirit would help us Uh, You would give us your grace to have insight, to understand what it says, uh, what it means for us, and that your spirit would help us to walk in the spirit, not gratify the desires of the flesh. Help us to live in a manner that pleases you and brings you glory. May you glorify your son, Jesus Christ, during this time now. We pray in his name. Amen.
Well, I don't know if anybody here uh, is a daredevil. Anybody like to do risky, dangerous things? Anybody like skydiving or rock climbing without a harness or uh, doing those gliding things where you jump off the tops of cliffs uh, with no parachute? Doesn't sound like anybody here is a daredevil. I'm not either. This afternoon, we're going to think about risk. And what is risk? What does it mean uh, that something is risky? You've probably, I'm sure you've heard of things that doctors will call an experimental drug or an experimental surgery or procedure. And they might say to you, well, this is risky. Okay, well, why is it risky? We'll just go with a procedure. Why is this procedure risky? Well, the doctor will say to you, well, nobody's ever done this before. Nobody's ever tried this before. So that's what makes it risky. It's not necessarily that the procedure is dangerous in itself. It actually could work really well. But the risk is that it hasn't been tried. We haven't seen that it's successful. And so with medicines or with procedures, they want to try it out thousands and thousands of times before they can declare it to not be a risk. Well, the psalm is asking us a question. Is it a risk to belong to God and to be one of his people? Is it a risk to follow Jesus? The answer of the psalm says, well, depends on how you think about it. Uh, If you don't want to be led like a sheep to the slaughter, then yeah, it's risky to follow Christ. But here's the point of this psalm. This has been tried thousands and thousands of times. People have belonged to God. People have followed Christ for thousands of years. And studies show that all who follow Christ, God has been faithful to them. God has been with them. God has always rescued his people. So, depends on how you look at it. If you don't want any suffering, if you want a life of perfect ease and comfort, then don't follow Christ. Don't be one of God's people. But this psalm wants to show you that it is not really a risk to belong to God. The people in this psalm are suffering. Uh, The best way to summarize it is that they call themselves sheep ready for the slaughter. They're being led along. They're being persecuted by enemies. Maybe they are being defeated. But this psalm is a psalm really of calling upon God, confidence in God, praying to God, because they really believe that God will be faithful. They pray because they believe God will answer their prayer, even though at the point of this psalm, they are being led as sheep to the slaughter. Well, that's what we want to think about this morning, or sorry, this afternoon. Uh, And uh, we're going to look at this in five parts. There are five parts to the psalm, and you have an outline there in your bulletin. Uh, The first part of uh, the psalm is the distant past salvation. So that's in verses 1 to 3. And so as the psalm begins, they are rehearsing the past salvation of God to give them confidence, to show their confidence that God's going to be faithful. 
So let's start again with the first three verses. O God, we have heard with our ears. Our fathers have told us what deeds you performed in their days, in the days of old. You with your own hand drove out the nations, but them you planted. You afflicted the peoples, but them you set free. For not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did their own arm save them, but your right hand and your arm and the light of your face. For you delighted in them. Psalm starts out with story time. Uh, you, if you're a parent, maybe, or a grandparent, you have story times at your house where you are just sitting around the dinner table or you're sitting in the chairs in your living room or maybe you have heard these stories from your grandfather. Uh, Grandpa likes to just tell stories about how cheap gas was way back then, about uh, the places that he's gone, about how the grandfather that, that maybe you never met fought in World War II. That's what they do. They, they tell stories. Well, here you can just picture Grandpa Cora. Uh, these are the sons of Cora writing this psalm. Now, just so you know, the actual Cora, you might remember from Numbers, he got swallowed up in the earth. So he wasn't a good guy, but his descendants, his family... Uh, became the Levites who were serving in the temple. And so Grandpa Ben-Korah, one of the sons of Korah, is telling and passing down to the future sons of Korah the great things that God has done. And he says, kids, there was this one time where we had a leader named Joshua. And they came into our land. The land that we now live in today. You know how we got into this land, kids? Not by our own armies. Not by the swords and the fights that we fought. No. God told Joshua and his army to walk around a city named Jericho. And after seven days of walking around, he told them to scream and blow trumpets. And the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. And Joshua's army conquered the city. So you see, kids, it's obvious that it was not us that, brought, that, that conquered the land. It was God who conquered it for us. And so little Korahites, they say, wow, Grandpa, that's amazing. And Grandpa says, but let me tell you another story. Later on, Joshua was fighting with in another town. And, and God made the sun stand still for an entire day. And it was so clear to everyone around them that God was fighting the battle. See, kids, we can't get into this land on our own. We can't accomplish these things on our own, but God has the power to help us. And so the kids learn the faithfulness that God has shown to the fathers. That's what they're talking about here. We have heard with our ears. Our fathers have told us the days that you performed in their days. And they are remembering these stories to remind themselves that God will continue to be faithful. And it's the same for us. We can look at the history of God's people, not just the history that we see in the Bible, but the history of the church. And we see how God has been faithful to his people. Maybe you've made the the sad mistake of looking at your 
retirement account in the last six months or looked at the stock market. And you know if you've looked at the stock market recently that things are really bad. But the financial people always tell you, don't focus on the short term. Look at the long term. In the last 30 years or so, the stock market has gone up overall, even though there have been ups and downs. Overall, it's been good. And that's what these verses are telling us. Like, don't just focus on the short term of what's happening now in your life, but look at the big picture. Look at how God has been faithful to his church over the ages. One of the reformers, John Calvin's friend named Theodore Beza, he says the church is an anvil that has worn out many a hammer. The church is an anvil that has worn out many a hammer. No matter who tries to stifle the church, the church continues on. No matter what nation tries to persecute the church, the church grows. No one will be able to stop the church of Christ and the kingdom of Christ from being established on this earth. And so as we look in the short term at what's happening in our country, in our culture, and it all appears so dark and so godless and so hopeless, God calls us to look at his faithfulness over the last 2,000 years in preserving the church of Christ. No one will be able to stifle the church. So we look at the distant past salvation, but then the psalm moves on to the recent past. God's salvation in the recent past, in verses 4 to 8. And so we see in, in verses 4 to 8 that these aren't just grandpa's stories that you've heard, but these are stories that you can see in your own life. That they should be able to see how God has worked for them to save them. Let's see what they say, starting in verse 4. You are my king, O God. Ordain salvation for Jacob. Through you, we push down our foes. Through your name, we tread down those who rise up against us. For not in my bow do I trust, nor can my sword save me. But you have saved us from our foes and have put to shame those who hate us. In God, we have boasted continually, and we will give thanks to your name forever and ever. You see the contrast now from verse 4 to 8 to the first three verses. Where at the beginning, it was things that our fathers told us, but now it's things that we do. It's not just that God... Uh, crush their enemies, but now we push down our foes, he says in verse 5. It's not a dead faith, something they just hear about in the past. It's a living faith for them. It's something that they've experienced in their own lives. They're experiencing the same thing. So you look at verse 6, that they recognize, just like their fathers, it was not their arm and their swords that saved them, as you saw in verse 3. Verse 6, it's not my bow that saves me. It's not my sword that saves me. I've experienced for myself that I could not save myself. I could not conquer the city. But God has done it. Verse 7. I've experienced how you have saved me from my foes. Now these aren't naive people. 
These aren't just people who are walking around saying, well, yes, God is good. I know that God's going to save me. Uh, And really, nothing bad has ever happened in their lives. These are people being led like sheep to the slaughter right when their psalm is being written. They are not naive. They are not like the the athlete who quotes verses like verse 5. Through you we push down our foes to talk about his football game. While, while he's making millions of dollars and gets practically anything in the world that he wants. Oh yes, God is helping him with his football game and his touchdowns. No, this is, this is people who are really suffering. Saying only God has helped me so far. I know that God has been faithful in my life. They are looking back, even in their own lives, in their recent past, of how God has helped them and saved them. And so that is also true for us. It should be true. God's faithfulness should not just be something that you read about in Fox's Book of Martyrs or in a Voice of the Martyrs newsletter missionary newsletters of how God helps other people. Hopefully you know God's faithfulness in your own life. Of course, the number one way that God has been faithful to us is that he has saved us. He saved us from damnation and from hell. He saved us from our sins. We can say the words of verse 4. God, you are my king. Jesus Christ, you are my king, you are my God, and you have ordained salvation for me. When I was lost, when I was helpless, you saved me. That's what we can say about ourselves, that just like the people of Israel could not conquer a city on their own, not with their swords, there was nothing that we could do to save ourselves from being under the curse of the law, from facing the condemnation of God. There was no way out. Yet God sent his son, Jesus Christ, and Christ died for us. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. And so we boast in God, as verse 8 says. As Paul says, we boast only in the cross. The cross is our only glory. We give thanks to God. Because of the work of salvation that he's done through his son, Jesus Christ. And so as we're led like sheep to the slaughter, suffering maybe at this very moment, you can see that God has been faithful. When you did not deserve it, he came and he ordained salvation for you. When you could not save yourself, he saved you. This is Paul's logic in Romans 8, 32. We're going to come back to this passage, that passage later, but, but in verse 32 he says, If God did not spare his own son, how will he not graciously give us all things? If God did the hardest thing of giving up his son to save you, how will he not do all things for you that you need? It would be like if one of you buys a a teenage 
child, a 16-year-old, a $50,000 car. Spend $50,000 on a car for a 16-year-old. 16-year-olds don't deserve that, just so you know. Uh, And then the the 16-year-old says, but dad, I'm worried that there's not going to be enough food for breakfast. I'm worried that that you're going to let me starve. Now, the idea would be that, listen, if, if I lavish this car upon you, why would I let you starve? Buying you cereal is such an easier thing than, than buying you a $50,000 car. And this is Paul's point. If God has given up his son for you, You think this situation you're in right now is hard for him? Of course he's going to help you. He's not going to leave you there. Now, God has not just been faithful to you in salvation, but you can also think of ways he's been faithful in different situations in your life. And you've probably all experienced these in different ways. Health crises, job crises, financial crises, family crises crises. You can look back in the things that you faced and and at the time they felt like God's not helping me out here. God's not coming through. But then now maybe years later you look back and you say yeah God God did come through. And don't we always feel just kind of silly? I was was really dumb to doubt that God was going to help me. I was so nervous. I was so worried. Of course he was going to come through. I often think of the Red Sea and Israel at the Red Sea. You know, they're there. They're running away out of Egypt. They come and there's a giant ocean. Can't cross this ocean. And they turn around. And then they see Pharaoh's chariots coming at them. I mean, it is the perfect example of a situation that you can do absolutely nothing about. My enemies are coming to kill me, and I've got a giant body of water behind me. There's nowhere to go. What are you going to do? And it's practically at the last minute that God parts the Red Sea. Who would have thought of that? Who would have expected him to do that? Who would have imagined that? But that's what God did. And you've seen that in your own life. It's at the very moment when you most needed help that right then, God did something you couldn't have imagined. So remember those times. Look back at them and how God has been faithful to you in the past. But now, they're experiencing rejection. This is the third point. Present rejection. Uh, They are literally feeling like they are dead meat in these verses. Let's read verses 9 to 16. But you have rejected us and disgraced us and have not gone out with our armies. You have made us turn back from the foe and those who hate us have gotten spoiled. Spoil. Uh, You have made us like sheep for slaughter and have scattered us among the nations. You have sold your people for a trifle, demanding no high price for them. You have made us the taunt of our neighbors, the derision and scorn of those around us. 
You have made us a byword among the nations, a laughingstock among the peoples. All day long my disgrace is before me, and shame has covered my face at the sound of the taunter and reviler, at the sight of the enemy and the avenger. And so they they feel here like God has rejected them, that he is not going to help them, uh, because apparently they have gone out to fight and they've lost. Verses 9 and 10. God has not gone out with their armies this time. The star player that they were depending on to, to win the championship decided to sit this one out. God just decided to not show up, to take a break. That's what they're saying. That's what it feels like to them. God has not gone with them. He has not helped them. Instead, they've been scattered, verse 11 says, scattered among the nations, made like sheep for slaughter, which we'll come back to when we get to verse 22. It says in verse 12, they feel like they've been sold like slaves with no price. In other words, God is their master. He owns them. And he's just wanting to get rid of them. He so badly wants to get rid of them that he doesn't charge anything. He says, please, it's free. Take them off my hands because I don't want to deal with them. That's how little it seems that God cares for them. And then they say in verse 13, they feel like they're being mocked, taunted. In verse 14, a byword among the nations, a laughingstock among the peoples. And so they're embarrassed. Verses 15 and 16. Shame and disgrace at these mockings and these insults from their enemies. Oh, maybe you've experienced this kind of feeling in your life too. You know, sometimes God doesn't answer those prayers the way that we want them to be answered. Sometimes God doesn't heal the sickness. Not everyone gets healed and gets to live, continue to live on this earth according to how we pray. Uh, sometimes the, the family situation doesn't really work out the way that we wanted it to work out. But people reject us. People turn away from us. Relationships aren't always healed, right? God doesn't always answer prayers and doesn't always bring us the exact solution that we want. We think of those who are persecuted as we read this passage. Being made like sheep for slaughter, we know that Christians are persecuted. We know that it happened in the early church under the Roman Empire, and it happened in, uh, especially in England during the time of the Reformation, where people were put to death, and that went on for decades and decades and decades. And, and uh, Henry Henry VIII, you thought he was bad, and then his daughter, Queen Mary, Bloody Mary, starts really killing a bunch of people. I mean, you could be one of those Christians at the time and say, God, I'm trying to be faithful to you. I thought that there's a a reformation of the gospel here. Like, aren't you going to help us? And yet, Queen Mary keeps cutting everybody's heads off. We can see it even today. We don't face beheadings here in the United States. But we look at the church in America and we're the taunt of our neighbors, derision, and scorn, 
more and more we're a laughing stock. You guys know this better being much longer than I have here in New York. This is not Alabama. This is not the Bible Belt. And we will become more and more of a laughing stock, especially here, because of our views about LGBT lifestyles and our views about, uh, against abortion and these kinds of things. We already are a laughing stock, but more and more we're going to experience it and, and see it. And people will be embarrassed to be Christians or to be associated with, with Christians. Uh, in some ways, I think it's, it's a good thing, like for, for the coming generation, for like my children, to, to grow up somewhere where it, it costs something to follow Jesus. You'll understand that people will mock you and revile you. You will be a laughingstock for following Jesus in this culture. Be ready. And so, let's just be honest, though, it can be discouraging. It can be discouraging when we wish that, uh, you know, we wish that the church would be full. We wish there were many churches that preached the gospel and, and that the gospel would just be spreading like wildfire. It can be discouraging. And we say, God, have you forgotten us? And we, we think that we've been faithful to you. And yet, it feels maybe you've rejected us. Well, that brings us then to the fourth part, which is his plea of innocence. In verses 17 to 22, uh, he pleads his innocence. It's like the sons of Gorah have their day in court before God to show that they don't deserve this. I heard a pretty crazy story that is a, a true story of someone who was framed for murder. A wife murdered her husband. And framed her daughter for the murder. Uh, she tried to actually kill her daughter and uh, make it look like a suicide, and that the daughter wrote on the the suicide letter that she had confessed she was confessing to killing her father. And this was all done by the, the wife or the mother. But it didn't work. Uh, the, the daughter actually survived, and so she got her day in court. She was able to go to the police and say, I've been totally set up. I've been totally framed. It was, it was my mom who murdered my father, her husband. Well, this is the, the plea of innocence, the kind of thing that is happening in this psalm. He's going before God and saying, God, we're innocent here. Verse 17, all this has come upon us Though we have not forgotten you, and we have not been false to your covenant, our heart has not turned back, nor have our steps departed from your way. Yet you have broken us in the place of jackals and covered us with the shadow of death. If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God discover this? For he knows the secrets of the heart. Yet for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. So the key point here is, uh, they're saying they haven't been false to the covenant. You know, the old covenant of Israel was, was conditional. God said, if you obey me, obey my laws, you'll be blessed and you'll come into this land. I'll give you the land. If you disobey me, you'll be cursed. The land will vomit you out. You can read about that 
at the end of Leviticus and Deuteronomy, the covenant blessing and curse, depending on obedience or disobedience. And so you can understand if they had disobeyed, they would be experiencing the curse of God. So if you tell the kids, uh, no dessert until you eat your veggies, okay, they didn't eat their veggies. They understand why they're not getting dessert. But if you were to just say, no dessert, and they say, but I ate my veggies. Still, no dessert, because I said so. They'd say, that's not fair. That's not fair. That's not what you told me. That's what's happening here. Lord, we have not been false. We, we have obeyed your covenant. So then why are we experiencing the curses of the covenant? Maybe you remember the story in Numbers when they spied out the land and they came back and they said, they're giants, don't go fighting there. Uh, and they, uh, they disobeyed. They were scared. And God said, go fight. But they wouldn't. But then they said, okay, well, we'll go fight. And God said, no, this time I don't want you to go fight. And they went anyways. And it says in the Bible, these words, they got beat down. They were beat down for doing what God had told them not to do. Well, that would make sense. But why am I getting beat down when I've obeyed you? And so you might feel this way too. Now, we know that all of us are, are sinners, can't claim you know, that we are perfectly obeying God, and therefore we deserve all God's blessings. But you can think about yourself, hopefully, as a sincere follower of Christ. And you say, God, I desire to follow and obey you. Why am I going through this? We can think again about the church. Lord, I understand those churches who deny your word. I understand that when a church hangs the rainbow flag outside, that, that you're not going to work among them by your spirit to bless them. But Lord, we love your word. We preach your truth. Why aren't you blessing us? So instead, they are like sheep to the slaughter, verse 22 says. They are killed all day long. Now sheep back then were pretty staple, pretty common staple of their meat. Um, they did not eat pigs, you know, they didn't eat pork. They also didn't really have a lot of cows. I have a theory that cows are a very American thing uh, because Americans like to eat a lot and cows are big. And uh, sheep you know, so, so in Israel, you, you kill a cow, you can't store all that for very long. You don't have a refrigerator. You don't have a freezer. Like all Americans have all these freezers full of meat. Uh, they didn't have that. So you can't kill a cow and then just let half of it go to waste. But a sheep, a sheep is enough to feed your family, and it'll last a day or two. And it's a good source of meat. So sheep were the most common source of meat. And they're pretty docile, they're pretty gentle, right? I've heard that goats are the ones that are hard to kill. Goats will attack you, they'll try to defend themselves. But sheep seem to be pretty calm. And so this image in verse 22 is very common to them. 
It's no big deal to round up a bunch of sheep, get them in line, hang them up, slice their necks. Just walk down the line, just slicing their necks for your, for your feast. That's what they would do. And so the people, that's what they feel like is being done to them. Just line up God's people. And one by one, just slice their throats. Just kill them. Just hurt them. Just get rid of them. Makes me think of uh, that time a few years ago when uh, ISIS gathered up that group of Christians and just lined them up on the beach and beheaded them all. Lined up like sheep for the slaughter. Well, Christians today, again, face that kind of persecution. Does that mean that they've been false to the covenant? They're not sincerely following Christ? No. And so it's clear from this passage that that following Christ will lead to some sort of persecution. Paul says, all who are godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So your persecution, uh, your suffering that you're enduring, the mockery that you're enduring, is not necessarily because you've been false to God's covenant. In fact, it might be because you are true in following Christ. So what do you do? Well, we come to the last part. The prayer for help. Verses 23 and 26. You pray more when you feel as if God has rejected you. So you see how they respond here? They have been rejected, or they feel, they're feeling rejected, but they know that they're innocent, and so they pray. 23. Awake. Why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our belly clings to the ground. Rise up. Come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. If you know that you have been faithful to God, you're sincerely trying to follow God, you pray and pray and pray again. You see, they could have responded by saying, all right, God, I'm being led like a sheep to the slaughter. You've forgotten me. That's it. I don't want to follow you anymore. I don't want to belong to you anymore if this is what it's going to cost me. But why did they respond with prayer? And why all that stuff at the beginning? Well, because they're thinking back. God, you've been faithful to our fathers. God, you've been faithful to us in the past. So now I'm going to interpret your present rejection, not as a punishment for my sin, because I'm, I'm not guilty, I'm innocent. So I'm going to interpret what's happening in my life as you are going to save me. You've been faithful to me in the past, so I'm trusting you're going to be faithful to me again. And so what I'm going to do, instead of walking away, is I'm going to pray for you to wake up. 
I'm going to pray that you'll come and help me again because I trust that you're actually going to do it. I'm going to pray because maybe right now you're just, it feels like you're sleeping. But you haven't rejected me. You're just sleeping. And I just need to come wake you up and then you'll, you'll come help me. So, this is what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. He's using the, the same point of the psalm when he quotes verse 22. And you can turn there uh, because it's quite a long passage. Romans chapter 8, verses uh, 35 to 39. Paul says, Who shall separate us? From the love of Christ. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. He's quoting verse 22 of Psalm 44. So he quotes that. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Because this is what we're experiencing. And here's his answer, verse 37. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. How can Paul say in verse 36 that we're like sheep to be slaughtered, but in verse 37 we are more than conquerors? Because we belong to the conqueror. We are united to Christ. And in Christ we have conquered. And Paul's point here is that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. God has been faithful. In the past, he's been faithful to our fathers. He's been faithful to us in our lives in the past. And so he will remain faithful. Nothing will separate you from the love of Christ. Therefore, do what Psalm 44 says at the end. Pray. Call on God to awake. Pray with the confidence that he will answer you. Because neither death nor life, angels, rulers, nothing in all creation will separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So is it a risk to follow God? Be one of his people? Well, you're going to be led like a sheep to slaughter. But God is faithful. The good news is that even that cannot separate you from his love. So what do you want? Do you want to escape and have a much easier life? Or do you want to know the love of God? Do you want to be his? Do you want eternal life? In that sense, being one of God's people is not a risk. As one hymn says, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him, 
o'er and o'er. Jesus will not let us down. He will be faithful. Let us follow him. Let's pray together. Oh God, we thank you for the great love that you have demonstrated through Jesus and that you have pledged yourself to us. Thank you for the great promise that you have united us to him. God, we know that there are difficult times and there may be more coming where we will face persecution, where we are the taunt and mockery and laughing stock among the nations. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to remember your faithfulness. And we do pray that you would show yourself faithful. We long for your gospel to spread and for your kingdom to come. Help us to be your vessels, your ambassadors, Uh, to see that happen. May you use us. May you give us perseverance and steadfastness by the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask these things in Jesus' name.